OCR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of the Fibber McGee and Molly Black of shows and Fibber and Molly from 1947, February 11th. The episode is entitled Aeronautics. I don't know if Fibber knows anything about that at all. And then Alanis Brooks from 1954, January 10th. The episode is simply entitled Hobbies and You Bet Your Life from 1950. May, May 24th, and the secret word is tree, T-R-E-E. Enjoy all these, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, creeks don't rise. Enjoy. Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. See the recent newspaper article on formality by Emily Post, the country's leading authority on etiquette? Well, it was most interesting. But what caught my eye was the paragraph where Emily Post said, I... The history of invention is replete with stories of men who were obsessed with one idea. Stubborn men, tenacious men. Read about Fulton and the steamboat. Edison and the electric light. Westinghouse and the air brake. Fibber McGee and Molly! Let me say again, it's the wing loading is equal to the drag, gravity plus lift will exceed the thrust. Yep, 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 that's it. That's it. So, if the forward speed... Hearing. If the forward speed is in excess of lateral stability... McGee! What? Oh, oh, hi, Molly. Time for dinner? We just had breakfast. <laughs> we did? <laughs> I guess I've been so wrapped up in this invention of mine, I didn't know what was going on. Personally, I still don't know what's going on. All I know is that three nights ago, you suddenly sat up in bed and said, Uranium! <laughs> That's a Greek word. Means I have found it. <laughs> that word is eureka, not uremia. Uremia is a disease. Oh, that's right. That's right. Promiscuous uremia. <laughs> baby, I got an idea. I got an idea that's going to knock the theory of aviation into a flat spin. I'm building a model airplane that will have aircraft flying to Mars every hour on the hour. I have a theory. Oh, Emmy didn't know. Quick, stick that slide rule under a cushion. Break those pencils. Atta girl. Shall I swallow the eraser? No. <laughs> Nobody can figure anything out from that. All clear? Roger. Okay. Come in. So oh, it's just Mr. Wimple, D. What do you mean, just? Even he could be a tool of the interest. Hi, Wimp. Hello, folk. <laughs> tool of... What interest, Mr. McGee? Do you have any connection with aviation, Mr. Wimple? Well, just in a small way, Mr. McGee. You see, what did I tell you? What is your small interest in aviation, Wimp? Well, when I ride my bicycle on cold days, I wear a flying helmet and goggles. <laughs> is that all? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no. I wear trousers, too. <laughs> any up? Any other interest in aviation, Mr. Wimple? 
Well, sometimes I wet my finger and hold it up to see which way the wind is blowing. Like aviators do. Oh, I always thought they threw a handful of grass up in the air. No, no. Real airplane pilots look for a herd of cows. They do? Yeah. Cows always stand with their tails to the wind. Pilots always look for that. They like a tailwind. <laughs> Personally, I've never flown in an airplane. <laughs> I get busy standing on a Sunday paper. <laughs> ah, there's nothing to fly in, Wimp. When you understand the laws of aerodynamics, like I do, you want to know the theory of flight, briefly? Very. What is it, Mr. McGee? It's simple. As the plane moves through the air, the air hits the front end of the wing first, you see. As it passes across the wings, the friction heats the air. Hot air always rises. That pulls the tail out. The pilot feels the tail go up and raises the nose up. Thus, the whole airplane goes up. Uh, then the way you'd explain it, it's all a matter of hot air? Exactly. You grasp it. I used to think that if I never flew in an airplane, I'd never get airsick. But I do. You do? How can you get airsick if you don't fly? Did your wife ever wear you around her head by your necktie 50 times and then tell you how funny you look with that green face? Of course not, Mr. Winkle. I'll have to admit there have been times when the temptation... No. I mustn't think that. Well, I've got to get home now. And I'd better slow down, too, believe me. Coming over here, I tore around a corner on two wheels. Oh, boy. My, it's a wonder you didn't get arrested. Oh, I was on my bicycle. It's long. You know, Molly, I could have took up model airplanes a years ago. It's a great little hobby. So are you. Hmm? Oh, <laughs> You said hobby. I thought you said hobby. Yes, yeah. <laughs> mm. Incidentally, aren't you making that model a little large? Gotta be large to hold the motor. The motor? Yep. See this? Yeah. One cylinder gas motor. Thirty-one bucks. Wow. This airplane's not only gonna fly, kiddo, it's gonna prove my new theory of flight. May I ask a question? Certainly, my dear. A thirst for knowledge is a very commendable thing. What's the question? Well, uh, <clears throat> when you walked across the room just now to get that little tiny stick of wood, what was that? I know, and your pride is excusable. Hmm? <laughs> but uh, what was the little piece of wood? That was the strut. Oh. In engineering terms, my child, the strut is an external brake. Oh. You see, when we design airplanes, we must anticipate stresses. Thus, when a plane is caught in a sudden updraft, or thermidor, <laughs> we must compensate by a rigid flexibility, or it results in a torque or ground loose. Very dangerous at high altitude. Understand? No, do you? <laughs> no. But neither did Kitty Hawk when she first started building airplanes. Kitty Hawk really is not a person. It's a place in North Carolina where the Wright brothers first flew. Well, that's a mere detail. I was only referring to Kitty Hawk. Remember now, not a word about my plans. There's millions in this thing. Can't take chances. Now, relax, sweetheart. I'm as silent as a cockatiel rabbit sitting on a boulder velvet. Okay. Come in. Oh, Dr. Gamble, do come in, doctor. How do you do, my dear? Hello, crumb bum. <laughs> Hi, revenue cutter. 
this just a social call, or did you hope to find somebody squirming in pain? Oh, now, stop it, McGee. You know how the doctor drops in on his way to the hospital. Certainly. I stopped here for inspiration. Limber jaw. It sustains me during my work. I keep thinking, if you can live and be happy with a body like that, there's hope for everybody. <laughs> I was talking to a couple of your victims, Mugwump. Uh, what's a Mugwump? That's a bird who sits on a fence with his mug on one side. Oh, and yes, it... I remember. <laughs> Oh, you remember. Olsen and Johnson told As a matter of fact, Blackwit, I always have... And all the tools. Going to the toothpick business? It's a model airplane he's building, Doctor. He says... Ha, 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 ha. No leaks, Molly. <laughs> One little hint about what I'm doing, an old blabber push here will spread it around like it was Johnson's glowpost. That I resent, hyena boy. I may cheat at crossword puzzles. I've been known to kick my golf ball from behind a tree. I have even had... You know something? He won't even tell you your own temperature. Well, I, I guess I was wrong, Doc. If you promise to keep it under your sweet brown hat, Bucket Feet, I'll tell you what I'm in. <laughs> oh, that's probably for you, Doctor. I suppose so. Those switchboard operators sail me around like a piece of chain on a gasoline truck. Hello, Gamble speaking. You must have got Doc Bill and had a relapse. Quiet. Oh, was that again, Mrs. Clatterhat? Clatterhat. I see. Well, tell your husband for me once more that if he has butterflies on his stomach, it's his own fault. I can't do anything about it. Goodbye. Fine doctor. Can't even give the poor guy some bicarbonate. Not for these butterflies, huh? Had him tattooed on when he was in the Navy and wants me to remove them. <laughs> well, see you later, Marblehead. Good day, my dear. I better get busy. Now, let me see. It says insert flat A into flat G. Hmm? Where's flat G? Hmm, this must be a thing. It's a little snug. No? Too tight. <laughs> Good thing I got plenty of extra pieces. I bought five sacks. I'd soon have enough. Oh, folks, I'm just going by and I thought, oh, gee, marble airplane. Why'd you take that up, Sal? Oh, a couple of days ago, Mr. Wilcox. Seems to be a wonderful hobby if you like sawdust down your neck and nails in your thumb and glue on your shirt. Don't you kid yourself, Snooky. It's the model builders like me that'll design the airplane of the future. And when I prove my theory... Oh. Forget I said that. Said what? About some theory you have Please. About... Mr. Wilcox, this is dynamite. Hmm. Strictly hush-hush, Junior. There, there ain't an airplane manufacturer in the world that wouldn't give his bicuspids to know what I'm working on. But I will tell you this. The so-called model modern airplane is absolute as of this minute. No. Yes. You familiar with airplanes? Only as a passenger. Flew to Cheyenne, Wyoming last week for the company. Emergency. Did you really? What kind of an emergency inquired fun-loving little Fibber? With his merry blue eyes twinkling with mischief because he knew darn well he was going to get slugged with a plug. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it was pretty exciting, pal. Racine got me out of bed early one morning. Racine was conscious? No, Charlie Racine, my house man. Oh. He shook me awake and said, get on the phone quick, boss. So I did. What was it? Uncomfortable. So I got off the phone, got on a chair. <laughs> then I picked up the receiver. It was the home office. They said, go to the airport immediately, Wilcox. A truck will meet you with a load of Johnson's Glowcoat. Yeah. The self-polishing floor beautifies it shines as it dries. Requires no rubbing or buffing. Yeah. And dries to a sparkling, beautiful, protective finish in 20 minutes or less. Yeah. Then what did you do, Junior? I dashed out of the house. Down to the corner. Yeah. Back to the house. Yeah. Took off my pajamas. Put on my clothes. Back to the corner. Grabbed a taxi and raced to the airport. Yes, yes, yes. Go on. There was an airplane. 
Engines turning over. Pilot waiting. Suddenly a truck roared up. They, they loaded the airplane with glow coats. The self-shining wax polish. It makes the tired old linoleum wink at the cook. Make you proud of your kitchen. Make housekeeping so much easier. Dad, rather get with it. What's this all about, Waxy? Well, the minute the airplane was loaded, I jumped in. We started down the runway. The engines roared. Five hours later, we were in Colorado Springs. Thought you were going to Cheyenne, Wyoming. We got lost. <laughs> well, by that time, I wasn't feeling so good, all that flying on an empty stomach, so I told the pilot to fly the glow coat on to Cheyenne, and I took the train home. But why did Cheyenne want all that glow coat in such a rush? Well, can you imagine that? I never thought to ask. You know what I'm going to do? What? Go home. <laughs> what Cheyenne wanted with all that glow coat. Hey, maybe... Hey, I'm gonna... almost ready to install the engines, let's see. This is a big moment. Uh, now, hold the plane ready while I... Easy now, easy now. Ah, ah my goodness, it fits. Sure, it fits. Now, all I gotta do is bolt it in, and Donald Douglas goes quietly out of this. <laughs> this idea of mine is bound to... Come in. Uh, pardon me, folks. Is this the domicile of Mr. and Mrs. McGee? Why, yes, it is. Uh, what can we do for you? Well, I'm Lena. Well, who sent you this? The aviation interest? <laughs> oh, you go on, Mr. McGee. They told me you'd start right off with something witty or something you thought was witty. <laughs> but I could take a joke, Mr. McGee. Anybody from a large family learns to take a joke, and I come from a large family, just as soon as I could afford it. <laughs> I uh, beg your pardon, but uh, who sent you, uh, Lena? Uh, the unemployment agency. You mean the employment agency? Well, maybe they have employment, but I don't. Anyway, they said you didn't have any help right now, and I'm free on Tuesdays, and by free I don't mean for nothing, because I get a dollar an hour in transportation, but don't let the transportation worry you, because I can always slip a ride in a truck. <laughs> you, uh, you mean you want to work for us, Dick? I don't want to work for anybody, Mr. McGee. But I formed some expensive habits like eating and wearing clothes, and they cost money, you know. <laughs> so I've got to work somewhere, and you'll find me very neat and cheerful. My goodness, I just sing all day long. Oh! I see you have a piano. Isn't that wonderful? You're just the nicest people, so cultured. <laughs> well, uh... We hadn't really considered engaging anyone just now, Lena, uh, because, see, you know, there's just the two of us and... Uh... Oh, that's just corruptious, just the two of you. Just a love, I'm certainly going to love it here, all this beautiful singing and everything. <laughs> well, I'll be here early next Tuesday. Thank you so much. You won't regret this. As they can eat Did we hire her? <laughs> well, she seems to think we did. Why? I just wondered. I didn't know they had such a strong union. <laughs> well, I'm practically ready for the big moment, Molly. Any film in the brownie? Yes. Good. But the uh, sticker on the film says must be developed before April 1933. Hmm. Too bad. This is a historical moment, and I wanted you to take my picture. Oh, you did? I... Oh, come in. Now watch it, kiddo. Don't volunteer anything. 
Oh, it's just Mayor Latrivia, McGee. Come in, Your Honor. Thank you, Molly. Good day, McGee. Hi, Latrivia. You're just the guy I wanted to see. You're a lawyer, aren't you? Yes. Yes, although I haven't practiced for some time. Who's suing you for how much? And if you take my advice, you settle out of court because if I know you, you were in the wrong. <laughs> no, no. I think this is something else, Your Honor. Isn't it about your idea, dearie? Yes, sir. This is a professional consultation. Yes. Now, look. You know what the next great step in aviation is? Certainly. Supersonic speed. What was that again? Supersonic speed. Speeds in excess of the speed of sound. Exactly. And I got it solved, Latrivia. You have? Yes. Good heavens, what is it? Well, this is amazing. Say, what is the speed of sound, by the way? Well, it's about in the neighborhood somewhere around, I say. What would you say, Latrivia? You're a lawyer. Well, the speed of sound varies with the temperature. At zero degrees centigrade, it travels approximately 1080 feet per second. Mm. It increases about two feet per second for every degree rise in temperature. Right. It travels faster through solids than through liquids or gases, and does not travel at all through a vacuum. Oh, it does through our vacuum. <laughs> we have positively the noisiest vacuum that you... <laughs> oh, that's hard to me, gentlemen. <laughs> that's okay. Now, here's the question, Latrivia. All the experiments up to date have been trying to speed up the airplane to equal the speed of sound. Right? Right. 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 So, I done, I done what had never occurred to anybody else. I built me this little model airplane, Latrivia. And with this airplane, I'm going to solve the problem of supersonic speed. Uh, supersonic. Supersonic speed. <laughs> I thought you said you had solved it. I solved the principle of it. All it needs is an experimenting. But, dearie, uh, this plane will not go faster than sound. I doubt it'll even do 30 miles an hour. Ah, that's the whole crux of the idea. Everybody's been trying to speed up the airplane. What I'm going to do is develop a slow sound. <laughs> slow sound. What an idea. Don't the simplicity of it kind of get to it, Ted? I work out a slow noise, fly the airplane to it, and presto, supersonic speeds are here. You ever do any flying with it? Yes, yeah. yes, a little. As a matter of fact, I'm a member of the Caterpillar Club. Of the what, uh, Your Honor? The Caterpillar Club. My gosh, we know people with the strangest hobby. Yes. Wallace Wimple watches birds, Mayor Latrivia clubs caterpillars. Uh, pardon me, I do not club caterpillars. Well, if you belong to the club, Your Honor, you're just as silly as the rest of them. Guilty of what, may I ask? Clubbing caterpillars. And why a grown man like you, Latrivia, should be so cruel and heartless as to hunt down them fuzzy little creatures. I and... don't hunt down fuzzy little creatures. I said I belong to the Caterpillar Club. Don't you know what the Caterpillar Club is? No, and I don't want to. If I knew, I'd feel it my duty to report it to the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty. To the... There is no cruelty. The Caterpillar Club is made up of people who have been forced to make parachute jumps. That's all. What do you mean, that's all? That's the worst part of it. Oh, I can admire an honest hunter who stalks his game. Yeah, but a man who silently drops down in a parachute. <laughs> I tell you, nobody clubs any caterpillars. We call it the Caterpillar Club because parachutes used to be made of silk, which was made by caterpillars. It's a tribute to them. It's hypocritical if you ask me, boy. Name the club after them and then drop down on them in parachutes and club the bajunior out of them. 
George. Oh, stop it, for goodness sake. Nobody clubbed penny parachutes. It isn't a care, Catawoman. They're dropping in the parachute. Now, now, now. <laughs> Don't get excited, Your Honor. Maybe you didn't know what you were getting into when you joined this club. He should have quit after he found out. But to deliberately maintain his membership with a bunch of hoodlums who go around beating up worms. That's by George the Wolf. I tell you, we don't feed any cat of worms. Miller, shoot. When I said I belong to the Catechilla Dub, the Kittapal Pub, we don't cow any Kittapalos. Nobody caliphated any foot of pill. I merely said the cup of Easy directions. Get some Johnson self polish. No, nope. too fast. Hmm, that's pretty fast too. Well, that's slower, but it's still too fast. Hey, Molly. Yeah. I'm running into a little trouble trying to develop a slow sound. But I know just the thing, Davy. What? You do a slow sound? What is it? Go back into vaudeville and wait for that applause. Huh? Oh. <laughs> Good night. Good night,
frequently in the past when her principal engaged in a project, he expected the members of his faculty to follow suit. So it was no surprise to Armis Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High, when two weeks ago Mr. Conklin took up an old hobby of his and then ordered his teachers to pursue a hobby of their own. At first, she was even quite happy when she was ordered to pursue a hobby. In fact, right up until Mr. Conklin informed me that Mr. Boynton wasn't quite what he had in mind. But it was Mr. Conklin's hobby rather than mine that caused most of the difficulty this past week. His avocation was making lifelike figures out of wax, which he then presented to his teachers and insisted that we display them prominently in our homes. Actually, his wax figures of animals were exceptionally good, and the leopard he gave me last Wednesday was extremely lifelike. Thursday morning, when my landlady saw it for the first time, her reaction was immediate. Tiny! Mrs. Davis! Mrs. Davis, come out of the closet, dear. It's not a lie. Not a lie, dear. You're sure it isn't, Connie? Of course I'm sure. Well, all right, then. This leopard is just another of Mr. Conklin's wax figures. Although I will admit they're quite realistic. They certainly are. I don't know what we can do about Mr. Conklin's hobby, but in a way, it has had its good effect. How dear? Well, it's forced many of the teachers to take up hobbies when they'd never had one until now. For instance, you've never seen me doing any knitting before. Look what I've accomplished in the last few weeks. Yes, I was noticing those things on the sideboard before you came in this morning. Did you see the things I knitted for Mr. Boynton? Oh, I know he'll be delighted with that, uh, with that, uh... It's a bathing suit. <laughs> of course, dear. I should have known it was a bathing suit as soon as I saw the turtleneck. <laughs> well, anyway, I know Mr. Boynton will be pleased with it when I give it to him at dinner. Well, as soon as I get to school, I'll ask him if... Well, that's probably Walter to pick me up. Come on in, Walter. The door's open. I'd better see what I've got left in the kitchen for him. And you know how that boy eats. <laughs> I'll be back in a minute. Hello, Walter. Why, Mr. Boynton. Good morning, Miss Brooks. I... Yay! Mr. Boynton. Mr. Boynton, come out of the closet this minute. <laughs> oh, it's the leopard. He's not alive, Mr. Boynton. He, uh, he's not? You're sure? Oh. oh, I get it now. It's another of Mr. Conklin's wax figures. Gosh, they certainly are realistic. I'll bet you'll never guess what he gave me for my place, Miss Brooks. A wolf. Well, are you learning anything? <laughs> uh, why did you come by this morning, Mr. Boynton? Well, Walter called me a little while ago and said something went wrong with his car, so I decided I'd pick you up instead. Oh, I'm glad you did. And since you're here, I might as well give you the present I knitted for you. <laughs> I was originally going to give it to you tonight at dinner. Uh, here you are, Mr. Boynton. Shows what you can create when you take up a new hobby, doesn't it? Uh, you knitted this for me? Care to jump back into the closet? Oh, no. No, it's, um, it's beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. It, uh, uh, it'll make a wonderful cover for my rabbit cage. <laughs> it's a bathing suit. A bathing suit? With a turtleneck? Well, if you can't use it, just hand it to the nearest turtle. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll use it. And since you've given me your gift already, I might as well give you the things I made for you. 
I suppose you've been wondering what's in the shoebox I've been carrying. No, I just figured it was your lunch. It's the latest product of my wood carving hobby. Go ahead and open it. Oh. <laughs> Why, Mr. Boynton, they're lovely. They're two of the most beautifully carved ashtrays I've ever seen. But they're shoes, Miss Brooks. <laughs> wooden shoes. Wooden shoes? Oh. I guess what fooled me was you forgot the wooden laces. Well, they just slip on. <laughs> uh, women in Holland wear them all the time. Now, uh, go ahead. See how they fit. All right. First, I have to get my own shoes off. There. Oh, say, this wooden shoe slips on nice and easy. Good. Uh, is it the right size? Oh, yes. Both feet fit into it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, they may seem a little loose on your feet at first, but you'll find they're very comfortable around the house. Uh, just try walking in them. All righty. Oh, Mr. Boynton, I've got to see Mr. Conklin the first thing this morning. Well, you're not going to wear those shoes to school, are you, Miss Brooks? You said the women in Holland wear them all the time, didn't you? Oh, yes, but what's that got to do with you? Well, at least today I'm dressed for the part when I get in Dutch with Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Just flattering you. This wax figure you've made of yourself is amazingly lifelike. Why, if I didn't know you were sitting behind that desk, I'd swear you were the wax figure standing beside it. You do believe me, don't you? I ought to, since the wax figure standing beside it happens to be me. <laughs> what? Oh, this is wonderful. This figure behind the desk could fool anybody. Daddy, may I say you're a genius? Over and over again. <laughs> uh, I am rather facile with wax, aren't I? Oh, I should say you are. Oh, uh, yes, yes. My only regret is that there isn't enough room for me to do my modeling at home. It isn't easy to flaunt school rules night after night working in the gymnasium. But I suppose for a true artist, rules are sometimes made to be broken. Oh, I'm so glad you feel that way about rules, Daddy. Then could I skip homework and go out with Walter tonight? And just when did you join the club, Miss Picasso? <laughs> you most certainly cannot. Even if you had no homework, you know perfectly well Denton has a job assisting me evening. Now, <laughs> uh, Harriet, I know you have a class, so if you don't mind, kindly get... Goodness, what's that? It sounds like the Martians have finally landed. <laughs> Uh, sir, 
I have a big favor to ask you, an enormous favor. Now, please don't say anything until you've heard me out. It's about tonight. I know I'm supposed to go over some reports with you at your house, but when I agreed to do it, I forgot that tonight Mr. Boynton and I were celebrating his sixth anniversary at Madison. So would it be all right if I went to your house tomorrow night, would it? Hmm? Would it? Mr. Conklin, I just asked you not to say anything until you'd heard me out. Not to never speak again. <laughs> Sir, I, I've never seen you this quiet before. Is your head bothering you? It's coming off. <laughs> oh, if there's anything I can do to help, I... It's coming off! But don't worry, we can always weld it back on. Robin, <laughs> what are you doing in back of me when you're in front of me? Oh, oh, I see it now. One of you is made of wax. Oh, you certainly gave me an awful start, sir. Well, I'm sorry if I upset you, Miss Brooks, but the figure is rather lifelike, isn't it? Well, truly, sir, it's practically impossible to tell the difference between you and the dummy. <laughs> that is, there's a remarkable resemblance. Now, about the favor I was going to ask of you. I've already heard you ask it, Miss Brooks, and since I intend working on my wax figures here at school tonight... You may have the evening off. Oh, thank you, Mr. Conklin, thank you. Honestly, you've made me so happy, sir, I could kiss you. If you must, try the wax, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> but in return for this favor of mine, I have a small favor to ask of you. Will you supervise this office during your lunch hour, since I have to go downtown to purchase more wax for my figures? Oh, yes, sir, gladly. Good, good. Well, if you don't need me anymore, I'll be on my way to class. Uh, one moment, please, Mal Flanders. <laughs> Just where did you get those wooden shoes? Mr. Boynton made them for me, sir. Wood carving is his hobby. Would you come a little closer, Miss Brooks? Yes, sir. My, it's lucky this building is earthquake-proof. <laughs> oh, the wood carving on these shoes is excellent, simply excellent. I've been searching for someone to assist me in my work. Boynton might be just the man. Yes, I think he may do. Mr. Boynton, your assistant? Yes, he'll start working with me tonight on my historical figures. Oh, but, sir, I told you we're celebrating an anniversary tonight. He's supposed to have dinner with me. Miss Brooks, I've made up my mind. Tonight, Mr. Boynton starts with Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette? Uh, Mr. Conklin, I think I may have an idea that will solve both our problems. What's that, Miss Brooks? You take Marie Antoinette and we'll make it a double date. Well, at noon that day, while the real Mr. Conklin was downtown, I was sitting in front of our principal's desk, keeping an eye on his office, while the wax figure of Mr. Conklin sat in the chair opposite, keeping his eye on me. Suddenly, the door opened. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Conklin. Oh, hello, Walter. Mr. Conklin, I have a big favor to ask you, but please don't say anything until you've heard what it is, okay? Don't worry, he won't. Well, sir, it's about tonight. I've been planning a big date with a certain member of your family for a week now, so could I please be excused tonight? After all, sir, I've stood guard outside the gym for five straight nights while you worked inside, so could I please have tonight off? Could I, hmm? Uh-huh? Could I... Mr. Conklin, I just asked you not to speak until I finished, not to never speak again. Uh, Mr. Conklin, do you mean to say you forced this poor boy to stand out in the cold for five nights? Why, I've never heard of anything so heartless, so cruel and inhuman. Now stop sitting there like a wax dummy and answer me. 
talking to a wax dummy. A wax dummy? That's not the real Mr. Conklin? Of course not. You're sure? Certainly. Now get this marble hat. I'm taking all that heartache from you. I'll throw that one under. See, from now on, Harriet goes out with me every night of the week. And if you give me any more lip as to what time I'm going to bring her home, I'll bounce one off your pointed marble head. That rings in the new year. Walter, please don't fool with that wax figure. It's fragile. <clears throat> Hello, Wax Museum. Uh, Madison High School. <laughs> speaking. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Stone. Could I speak to Mr. Conklin, please? He isn't here right now, sir. Well, tell Mr. Conklin I passed by the school last night and I saw a light burning in the gymnasium. Now, Mr. Conklin knows how strict we are about using school facilities after hours. You just tell Mr. Conklin I'm coming over tonight to find out for myself... Who is using the gymnasium after school hours? I'll give Mr. Conklin your message as soon as I see him, Mr. Stone. Very well. Goodbye. Goodbye, sir. You're going to give Mr. Conklin what message, Miss Brooks? That Mr. Stone's coming over tonight to investigate the light in the gymnasium. But, Miss Brooks, why do that? If Mr. Stone discovers Mr. Conklin here tonight, he'll make him quit his hobby. That's releasing Mr. Boynton and me for active duty on other battlefields. I'm getting to feel more like no man's land every day. Walter, I told Mr. Stone I'd give Mr. Conklin the message when I saw him, and that's exactly what I intend to do. You do? Yes, but I didn't say which, Mr. Conklin. Okay, Waxy, open up your ears. It's almost nine o'clock, Mr. Conklin. I have a date tonight. Uh, perhaps we should come back to these figures tomorrow night. No, no, no. Uh, I, I can't stop, Boynton. I must work. I guess I've got wax in my blood. Where, oh, where did I get this heaven-sent talent? Did Julius Caesar ever look more dominating? And look at my Napoleon, Boynton. Did you ever see such a Napoleon? Whenever I look at it, I want to follow the man into battle. Well, it, it, it's rather good, sir. Thank you. <laughs> what do you think of this wax figure of Miss Brooks? Now, tell the truth, Boynton. I respect honest criticism. Well, uh, personally, I, I don't think the arms are quite right because... Boynton, when I want your opinion, I'll ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> and what, pray, Mr. Boynton, do you find wrong with Miss Brooks' arms? Well, sir, I speak as one who spent countless evenings in Miss Brooks' company. Boynton, I am in no mood to hear your true confession. Exactly how would you have treated the arm? Well, a little fuller. Fiddle-faddle. Oh, Mr. Conklin, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. All I really meant was... Quiet, quiet, quiet. I hear footsteps. Mr. Conklin, there's a couple of people coming, and I think one of them is Mr. Stone. Mr. Stone? Good heavens, we've been ambushed. <laughs> what are we going to do, sir? 
There's no way out. They're coming toward us through the only open door. Gordon, stop making this sound like the ninth episode of The Perils of Pauline. Now we must be calm. That's it. Calm. Calm. But think. Think. I've got it. <laughs> you hide in the workshop. Yes, sir. Yeah, but what about us, sir? There's no alternative, Boynton. Freeze. Freeze? Yes. If we remain absolutely motionless beside these wax figures, Mr. Stone could never tell us apart. Now, put out the light, Boynton. Sit over there between Marie Antoinette and Josephine. Uh, between Marie Antoinette and Josephine. Oh, Boynton, relax. If Marie Antoinette makes a move toward you, I personally will see that she's guillotined again. <laughs> As he approached the gymnasium from the outside, Mr. Stone was surprised at something he saw. Uh, Miss Brooks, didn't the light just go out in the gymnasium? Oh, uh, I'm not sure, Mr. Stone. Hmm. I'm glad I bumped into you. We can investigate this mystery together. Uh, I'll switch on the light. Well, for heaven's sakes, where did they go? Where did who go, Miss Brooks? Uh, whoever was here, I mean. My... These must be the wax figures Mr. Conklin's been working on. <laughs> They're amazingly lifelike, aren't they? Well, the Napoleon and the Caesar are, but that new one of Mr. Conklin wouldn't fool anyone. No living man ever looked like that. <laughs> that would be like Osgood placing his figure between Napoleon and Caesar. He does seem to give them an inferiority complex, doesn't he? And that one sitting over there between Marie Antoinette and Josephine, I believe, is Mr. Boynton, eh? Hmm. Very good. Good. He's gorgeous. <laughs> it is good, isn't it, sir? But this figure of Conklin needs the most work. For one thing, the, the eyes are wrong. They're too close together. <laughs> true, sir, and they lack that certain weasel-like quality. Oh, yes, they're not right, sir. And somehow there's something wrong with those jaws. Oh, the jaws are all wrong. Mr. Conklin has the heavy, beefy jowls of a baby rhinoceros. Miss <laughs> uh, Brooks, uh, where does Mr. Conklin keep his art supplies? Oh, in that little workshop over there. You see it, sir? Why do you ask? Uh, frankly, I think I can improve this Conklin figure myself. <laughs> Just by adding a little paint here, a dash of hot wax there, and... Moving that left eye over about two inches. <laughs> what was that, Miss Brooks? What was what? Well, I thought I... Oh, never mind. I'll be right back with the material. Hmm. Maybe I could move that eye over while... No one is moving my left eye over two inches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Miss Brooks, it is indeed I. So my eyes lack that certain weasel-like quality. Oh, no, sir. They're very weasel-like. I have the heavy, beefy jowls of a baby rhinoceros, do I? Oh, that was all in fun, sir. No living man could look like I do. Oh, it should have been no living woman could hold the job I'm losing. Oh, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'm alive, too, Miss Brooks. Want to bet? <laughs> oh, I 
Miss Brooks, this is no time for meaningless talk. I want you to get Mr. Stone out of here as soon as possible. But, sir, Mr. Stone insists on doing you over. Get rid of him, Miss Brooks, or come tomorrow morning, a certain teacher may find herself pounding a beat in some kindergarten. Well, all right, sir, I'll try. See that you do, because... Here he comes. Hey, it's amazing, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin's got wax figures all over the place. There's even one of Walter Denton in the workshop. Well, now to get to work on Osgood. Uh, Mr. Stone, don't you think it's rather late? Oh, nonsense, Miss Brooks. I haven't had so much fun in ages. Now, first, a touch of red paint on Mr. Conklin's cheeks. Ah. (laughs) Notice how it brings out the eyes, Miss Brooks. Yes, they do look like they're about to pop, don't they? <laughs> Mr. Stone, I, I don't think now we should... Now we build up that chin oh. with a little hot wax, so... <laughs> and now the coup de grace. Mr. Stone, what are you going to do with that saw? Well, frankly, that left ear of Conklin's has disturbed me from the moment I first set eyes on it. It's not the <laughs> took that first look at you and you crossed your eyes. <laughs> now, if your left eye had been moved over two inches, you... That was a dead giveaway, wasn't it? I knew Boynton was alive from the moment I mentioned that he was sitting between Marie Antoinette and Josephine, and he began to blush. <laughs> He'd blush if he was sitting between two female frogs. <laughs> I don't mind telling you I consider this infringement of school rules a disgrace. Uh, but, but, sir, if you let me explain... No I, I... explanation is acceptable when a principal violates school rules to the extent of using its facilities after hours without the express consent of the board. Uh, however, I shall overlook the affair this time. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. But hereafter, I shall expect you to pursue your hobby at home. Or find a different hobby. Yes, or find a different hobby. Something without Mr. Boynton. Yes, something without Miss Brooks. Will <laughs> <laughs> you permit me the luxury of expressing my own thoughts in my own native language? I'm sorry, sir. Well, Mr. Boynton, if we hurry, we can still catch a movie. Oh, uh, uh, just a moment, please. Uh, Conklin, who made that chair Boynton is sitting on? That one? Yes. Yeah. Why, Boynton made it himself, Mr. Stone. His hobby is woodcraft. Oh, it's excellent, beautiful work. You know, Boynton, I took up woodwork a few weeks ago myself, and I, I find it fascinating. Oh, it is, sir. Um, I wonder if you can drop over sometime and give me a few pointers. Well, any time you say, Mr. Stone. I'd be very happy to. How about tonight? Oh, no, tonight's impossible, Mr. Stone. Mr. Boynton has already promised to help me out with my hobby. You see, I'm a knitter. How could Mr. Boynton help you out with that hobby? Well, my cat's away, and someone's got to get all tangled up in the wool. Come on, Mr. Boynton. And now, here's the star of our show, Eve Arden. Mr. Conklin's wax dummies of Marie Antoinette and Josephine were really lifelike. But he just didn't do right by their complexion. Thomas Brooks, Dorothy Gordon, Frank Blood, the 
by Arthur Oldsburg and Lou Derman with the music of Lud Gluskin. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Gloria McMillan, and Joseph Kearns. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is tree. T-R-E-E. Really? You bet your life! The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Roger Marks in You Bet Your Life, a comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... That's logical. This is National Pickle Week. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. <laughs> Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples. George Fenneman, who's first to try for it? Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected the mother of a large family and an expectant father. And here they are, Mrs. Lois Mayer... And Mr. Charles Weiss, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, folks, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mrs. Uh, Ma, Lois Ma, you're the mother of a large family? Yes, I am. Pretty young-looking gal, aren't you? <laughs> how, how large is your family? I have eight children. You have eight children? Eight children. children. Well, certainly don't look at it. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Weiss, you're the expectant father? Yes, sir. You don't look at either. <laughs> do, you, do you have any other children, Mr. White? Uh, no, sir. This is my first. Oh, your first, eh? <laughs> well, you better rest a while. The first one is the hardest. <laughs> where, where are you from, Mr. White? I was born in New Haven, Connecticut, raised in Newport, Rhode Island, moved to New York, and then came out here about a year and a half ago. Who was after you? <laughs> And, uh, Mrs. Ma, what does your husband do for a living, uh, Mrs. Ma? Well, we just started catering not so long ago. To each other? <laughs> well, where are you from, little mother? I'm from Leona Mines, Virginia, and oh. I lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, after I was married, and then we came to California. Is that the customary route? Uh... <laughs> now, tell us something about this catering you mentioned. What sort of a business is it, specifically? Well... Uh, we put on dinners for parties. Any particular kind of food or just... Uh... Whatever you choose. I see. Well, I choose the food after I eat it, but... <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you charge for a dinner like that? It's according to what you're going to eat. You're pretty cagey, aren't you, huh? <laughs> well, uh, approximately, uh, Lois... Oh, anywhere from a dollar and a half to two and a half plate. And, uh, suppose you put something on the plate. How much extra? I'll just call you Charlie, huh? Not you, Mrs. Moore. I mean, you, uh... What sort of work do you do, Charlie? I'm a sales representative for Admiral... for America's number one television set, Admiral. <laughs> Just make that up? Uh, <laughs> could you get me one wholesale? <laughs> Come around. Does anybody ever buy anything retail anymore? Huh? <laughs> How old are your children, uh, Lois? Oh, I have them all ages. 
coming around 79? <laughs> what do you mean, all ages? No, what? Oh, uh, 15, 13, 12, 9, 7, 6, 4, and 8 months. You just got under the wire there with that <laughs> The family your size, Lois, uh, how large a hotel do you run? We have four bedrooms. How do you get them all out in the morning? I mean, do you put them on a conveyor belt? Or... <laughs> well, hardly like that. I, well, I have five boys and three girls. And I well, wake the oldest girl up first, and the baby wakes up instead of the oldest girl. And I go around yelling, quarter of seven, quarter of seven. <laughs> Suppose it's 8 o'clock. Do you still yell at quarter to seven? <laughs> How do you discipline the youngsters? Oh, they're pretty well behaved most of the time. Do you never when... take a swipe at them? <laughs> Only in self-defense. <laughs> Did you have trouble finding names for all these kitties? No, we have a book at home. Well, uh, Lois, my advice to you is it isn't too late. Throw the book away. Huh? <laughs> How about you, uh, Mr. Weiss? Have you got a definite name for your youngster? Yes, we have. You are? What are you going to name it, huh? Well, we don't know yet. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty definite, huh? <laughs> Sounds like an Indian name, huh? <laughs> what is the kid's name? We don't know yet, Jones. <laughs> what do you mean you have a definite name, but you don't know yet? Well, we don't know what right, it'll Charlie be. Charlie Weiss, what kind of talk is that, huh? We don't know what it'll be yet. <laughs> you mean there's a likelihood that it may have wings and fly out the window? <laughs> Which would you prefer, uh, Charlie, a boy or a girl? Well, it doesn't make much difference to us as long as it's a baby. <laughs> Why do you want a baby? <laughs> well, what an odd thing to wish for. Huh? <laughs> well, after we're through here, talk to Mrs. Uh, Moore about it. Maybe she can get it for you wholesale. <laughs> well, it's been very instructive talking to you two, and I hope you'll both be very happy. Now, in just one minute, you're going to play your bet your life for $1,000. To millions of car owners across this nation, the sign of a DeSoto Plymouth dealer stands for two things. The best in new car values, the best in service. Next time you're at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's for service, Make it a point to find out about the two truly great new cars he sells. One is the brilliant new DeSoto, the car that's really new inside and out, bringing you more beauty, economy, and comfort. The moment you see the new DeSoto, you'll note its clean, modern design, the graceful new lines that sweep back from its magnificent new full-width front grille to its smart, roomy trunk. It's a thrilling car, this all-new DeSoto, the car that lets you drive without shifting. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell the beautiful new Plymouth, the car that likes to be compared. Now, let's see if you two will be high for the night and get the chance at the $1,000. Fanneman, explain the rules. 
Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected mountain peaks of the world as your category. Is that right? That's right. Well, here's your first question. You have $20. How much will you risk? $10. All right. Where is uh, Mauna Loa found? M-A-U-N-A, capital L-O-A. In the Hawaiian Islands. The Hawaiian Islands is right. Off to the good start, have $30. All right. Remember, you're going for $1,000. Nina, how much of the 30 will you try? 25 Twenty-five. In what country is Popa Catapetal found? In Mexico. Mexico is correct. They're climbing. They have fifty-five dollars. You got fifty-five dollars, and here's your third question. How much of the fifty-five do you want to try? Fifty. Where is Mount Everest found? Oh, Everest in Tibet. They're really climbing now. They have one hundred and five dollars. A hundred and five. A hundred and five. You're going to shoot the whole we'll thing. shoot the word. All right, here's your last chance to beat the other couples. Where is Mount Vesuvius? Uh, Mount Vesuvius is in Italy. All right. And they wind up with a grand total of two hundred and ten dollars. Good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Bracho. Yes. The secret word is still tree. Perhaps the next couple will say it. They might. Just before we went on the air, we selected a housewife from the audience. A good idea. <laughs> Her name is Mrs. Mary Ann Hughes. A splendid notion. And a hypnotist, Mr. Fred Schneider. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to your bet your life. And if you say the DeSoto Plymouth secret word, you'll divide $100 between you. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mr. Schneider, you're the hypnotist? Yes, I am. Well, don't look me in the eye when you answer me. Somebody has to stay awake around here. <laughs> now, Mrs. Uh, Hughes, uh, Marion Hughes, huh? Marion Hughes and Repentant Leisure, isn't that the... Uh, what they say? <laughs> no, I guess not. Huh? You're, you're the housewife? Yes, I am. Well, you're a very attractive housewife. Huh? Thank you. What does your husband do, Mrs. Hughes? Well, he works for food craft. Food craft? Mm-hmm. He sells pickles. <laughs> How did, how did you meet him? Was he pickled at the time? No, he, he wasn't old enough to be pickled when I met him. How old do you have to be to be pickled? <laughs> well, how, how did you meet him? Huh? Well, I met him in a blacksmith shop in Illinois. He was uh, molding a brand for his pony, and he had heated the iron, and he had formed the letters M-A-X, and he put them in this big tub of water. Max? Because they were hot. Uh-huh. Was that the pony's name or your husband's No, that was his name. He was oh. going to brand his pony, Max. What was the pony's name? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't the pony have a name? Well, I didn't ask him. I don't know. <laughs> don't you think it was rather unfair to the p- pony to... I- I'm sorry. I should have asked the pony. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you are with the pony and Max and the... I hadn't noticed my, my husband very much. I mean, he put the brand in the tub of water... And a devil's horse came flying by, and what's I... That, what's that? A devil's horse? A devil's horse? Uh-huh. Was well, he getting shoed, too, in the black... <laughs> what's a devil's horse? Well, those those huge varmints they have back east. They fly through the air, and they look like a little horse, and they're an insect. And if they bite you, it's just your death, they say. <laughs> who, who are they? <laughs> I mean, I've always wanted to track that down, they say. <laughs> That's what I've heard all my life, and oh. I saw this coming at me, and I didn't like it. 
Well, I got excited and I fell over in this tub of water on the top of this brand. I got branded. Isn't it a little embarrassing to walk around the bathing beach with Max stamped on you? No, it really isn't noticeable at all. So I, I still don't see how this culminated in marriage. The mere fact that you were named Max at the time. Matter of fact, all three of you were named Max by this time. But what about you, Ice Train? I. I... <laughs> What kind of a brand do you carry? Are you, uh, are you married? Yes, I'm married. Some hypnotist. She caught you napping, eh? <laughs> Tell me, Svengali, what are some of the uses? <laughs> what are some of the uses for hypnotism? Well, it's being used a great deal medically today, especially through this last war. Mm -hmm. uh, such things as uh, overcoming and removing phobias, bad habits. Could you hypnotize me and cure me of my insomnia? Mm, yes. Huh? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I doubt it. I don't have insomnia. <laughs> I just can't sleep at night, that's all. <laughs> Could you hypnotize me and cure me of uh, smoking cigars? Well, any ordinary person you could hypnotize. <laughs> Answer my question. Can you hypnotize me? Well, I don't know. I have to try it first. Well, flattery will get you nowhere. <laughs> I guess I'm safe in ordering another box of cigars. Can you show me how to hypnotize somebody? Try it on Mrs. Hughes here. Huh? Yeah, I'd be glad Mrs. To Hughes, do you mind if he hypnotizes you? Oh, I don't think I like that. <laughs> oh, you don't want to give up smoking cigars either. <laughs> well, how do you hypnotize somebody? What's the first step? Well, the first step is to get their attention, have them concentrate on your voice, and then have them think of figures or numbers. As you count, for instance, to five, they'll go deep asleep. Then you begin counting one, tell them to relax and grow heavy, their legs and their arms. Two, they're growing very... Are you trying to give me the double whammy here? <laughs> well, I wasn't trying very hard. Can you hypnotize the whole audience? Uh, a large portion of a whole audience. I did a, a demonstration at the Long Beach Municipal Auditorium several years ago. There were about 3,500 people there, and several hundred actually went to sleep. occur to you that perhaps the show was lousy? <laughs> well, now that everybody's in the trance, let's play you bet your life for a thousand dollars. You run your twenty dollars into more than the other couples and you get the big chance. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but Fenneman's offstage remind our listeners. The expectant father and the mother of eight children won two hundred ten dollars. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected American Patriots as your category. Is that right? Now, here's your first question. How much are the 20? Okay. What was the name of the American statesman who said, give me liberty or give me death? 
Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry is right. <laughs> They're on their way with $30. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. Uh, how much of the 30 will you try? 25 25 What was the name of the soldier and statesman who avenged the Alamo at San Jacinto? Was it Sam Houston? Sam Houston is correct. <laughs> on the way now, they have $55. And here's your third question. And how much are the 55 50 What was the name of the patriot in charge of the Boston Tea Party? He also signed the Declaration of Independence. Sam Adams. Samuel Adams is correct. <laughs> now they have $105. This gal has read a number of books. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 105? 100. 100. What was the name of the woman who supposedly said, Shoot if you must, this old gray head, but spare your country's flag? James. James. Um, I'm terribly sorry. It was Barbara Fritchie. Well, that's tough luck. You bet all your money and wound up broke. I'm going to give you another chance to make some money. Get this one right, and you win $10 in cash. Now, think hard. Who is buried in Grant's tomb? <laughs> General Grant is right. <laughs> Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers, and I will soon know who gets the chance at the $1,000 question. Mr. Car Owner, what have you done about the warmer weather that lies ahead? I'm sending my long underwear to storage. But what about your car? Is it all set for the miles of pleasant motoring? Can you count on it for smooth operation on vacation and during those summer weekends? Better visit a DeSoto Plymouth dealer real soon. Let his service experts tune up your car. Bring in your violin, too. You see, friends, a car that's been checked by DeSoto Plymouth mechanics will zoom along the road and purr like a cat. May even drink milk. So take the man's advice, folks. Bring your car, your violin, and your cat in wherever you see the sign of a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. All right, Fenneman, who's ahead in the battle for the $1,000 question? Well, the mother of eight children and the expectant father are ahead with $210. And the secret word is still tree. We invited some boxers and some ballet dancers to the program tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Patty Taylor and Mr. Art Aragon. And here they are, folks. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, youngsters, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 between you. It's a common word, something you see every day. A boxer and a ballet dancer, eh? Um, which are you? Uh... I'm the boxer. You're, you're the boxer? Huh? Uh, what is your name? Art Ar- uh, Aragon, eh? Where are you from, Art? I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh. Before we proceed, let me caution you. Uh, on this program, you'll likely hear bells occasionally, Art. Don't come out swinging if you do. <laughs> what is your fighting weight, uh, Art? Uh, 135 stripped. Did you say strapped or stripped? <laughs> now, how much do you weigh with your clothes on? I don't know. I never weigh with my clothes on. You must draw a nice crowd when you get weighed at the end. <laughs> Are you married or haven't you lost a fight yet? Uh? Oh, I'm married, but we don't fight at home. You don't, yeah? In the morning, does your wife have to count to nine before you'll get up? Huh? <laughs> what about you, Twinkle Toes? Let's find out something about you. You're, you're a ballet dancer, huh? Yes. Yeah. Where are you from? Uh, what is your name? Fifi? Uh, Patty, huh? <laughs> Patty Taylor. Are, are you married? No, I'm not married. You're not married, huh? For a ballet dancer, apparently you're not on your toes. Huh? <laughs> Let's see you get up on your toes. Huh? In these shoes? Yeah. 
You'd need toasters for that. Oh, you have toes, huh? About ten. Did you say you were about ten? No, eighteen now. Well, you just said ten. Ten toes. Oh, ten toes, but you're eighteen. Yes. It could be worse, you know. You could be ten and have eighteen toes. <laughs> I knew a guy like that once. <laughs> he was really two girls, but I don't want to... <laughs> now, one punch. How do you train for a big fight? Well, uh, let's see. I get up at 6.30 in the morning, I go run, I come back and I go to bed. <laughs> Wouldn't it be simpler to just stay there in the place? <laughs> Once you're up, why don't you stay up? Well, uh, that's not all of the training. Got a little bit more. There is? What else? Well, I get up at 10 o'clock and I eat my breakfast. Then I go back to bed. <laughs> you, uh, you must have a fortune tied up in pajamas. <laughs> then what do you do? Well, I go train the gym for a couple of hours. Then I go home and go to bed. <laughs> Then I get up at about uh, 5 o'clock and I eat my dinner, go out and take a walk, and I come home and go to bed. You don't, you don't see much of the outside world. Do you? <laughs> Why do you do all that work? Why is there so much uh, sleeping and jumping up and down? Well, how do you want to get in top shape? Top shape? Well, who wants to be shaped like a top? <laughs> now, what are the first things you have to learn about ballet, Patty? Um, well, the first... Thing would be the five basic uh, dance positions. And what are the five basic dance positions? One, two, three, four, and five. <laughs> well, you, you ask a ridiculous question, you get a ridiculous answer. On the other hand, Aragon only has two positions. <laughs> Vertical and horizontal. <laughs> uh, could you describe the first dance position, Patty? Well, position number one, you have your feet together, your heels together, and your toes pointed outwards and push your heels forward. Well, that sounds pretty simple. So <laughs> now, what are some of the basic steps of the ballet? Oh, there's tour jetés, pirouettes, glissades, assemblées, jetés, and entrechacatres. What time do you stop at Nacogdoches? <laughs> Isn't all that stuff Greek to you, uh, Art? It's French. It's French. <laughs> well, all I can say is, vive la France. <laughs> what qualifications are necessary to become a good uh, ballet dancer, Patty? Well, most of the qualifications are physical. You should have a sturdy body and flexible and... A slender figure, and uh, it's good to have long legs, but it isn't necessary. Well, uh... <laughs> the legs should certainly be long enough to reach the floor, Patty. <laughs> well, it's been very interesting talking to you two. Now, let's see how agile you are in the quiz. Now, you beat the other two couples, and you'll get a chance at the $1,000 DeSoto Plymouth question. I can't tell you how much the other two couples won, but Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners. The mother of eight children 
and the expectant father are ahead with $210. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You select the sporting terms as your category. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Now, how much you want to bet of the $20? Huh? Talk right out loud in the microphone. Like the fight was over and you were saying, hello, Mom. <laughs> A Texas leaguer uh, is an expression in what sport? Baseball. Baseball is correct. <laughs> On the way, Groucho, with $30. Well, you hit that over the fence. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. Now, how much of the 30 will you try? 25 25 20, she said. $25. A lob shot is an expression of what sport? L-O-B. Oh, wait just a moment. A lob. It's a, a tennis. That's right. Tennis. <laughs> $50. You got $55, and here's your third question. How much will you bet? $40. Uh, riposte, I guess, R-I-P-O-S-T-E, is a maneuver in what sport? How do you spell it? R-I-P-O-S-T-E. You guess. <laughs> Football? No. No, all right. That's a tough question. It's fencing. It's a... They now have $15. That's a shame. All right, here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much is the 15 will you try? All of it. All of it. A stymie is an expression of what sport? That's, I'm, that's easy, huh? I'm stymied. <laughs> no, not Margaret. I'm stymied. You stymied the guy. She that simple. Well, I was thinking of golf, but I guess they have stymies and marbles. But I'd say you're right. <laughs> they wind up with $30. Matt Williams, the expected father and the mother of eight children with $210, get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question. <laughs> serve you efficiently, to serve you promptly. Those are the aims of every DeSoto Plymouth dealer. No matter what make of car you drive, no matter what sort of attention it needs, a DeSoto Plymouth dealer is well equipped to give your car the very best in service. Skilled, factory-trained mechanics, the most modern tools and equipment made, service at a fair price, and prompt, courteous treatment every time. That's the kind of service you get. Well, you drive in at the sign of a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. That's the kind of service that means extra miles for your car. From coast to coast, there are more than 3,000 of these DeSoto Plymouth dealers, each with an earnest desire to serve you. And here's the mother of eight and the expectant father, the winning couple... All ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question, Groucho. Here we go for $1,000. Ready? I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so think carefully and please no help from the audience. Here it is. The Panama Canal, one of the great engineering feats of all time, would never have been possible if it weren't for the discovery of the Isthmus of Panama. For $1,000, tell me who discovered the Isthmus of Panama. What is the answer you two have decided upon? Uh, Balboa. No, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but it was Christopher Columbus on his last voyage to the New World. Well, that's the correct answer, so that means the big question next week will be worth $1,500. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $210 in the quiz. Congratulations and thanks to both of you.
You Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life. Presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth $1,500. So good night, folks. And remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Folks, here's a tip from the National Safety Council. May is National Car Safety Month. So remember, check your car, check accidents. This is George Fenneman, signing off with the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.